it was the saddest thing. And I started crying. And I was weeping, like for real. I had to almost stop the rehearsal. This is the fifth episode of the Ohana Improv Podcast, which means it's a tiny, tiny anniversary. My name is Laura Dornweert, and in this interview I talk to Sarah Michelson. Now, she's also known as DJ Mama Cutsworth, and she is part of Speechless, a group with two improvisers and one music improviser, and that's her. In this interview, we talk about different things, including her role as a music improviser, how Speechless started, which I think is a great anecdote of their first rehearsal together. She also has some advice for other music improvisers, and she talks about how she warms up, which I found very insightful, because she has a bit of a different view on that. If you want to know more about her or about the things she talks about, find them in the show notes. They can be found on www.lauradorneweert.com dot com slash podcast if you want to know how my name is spelled find it in the description of this podcast all right have a lot of fun with this interview with sarah michelson all right sarah welcome to this interview thank you yeah thank you for doing this um so uh there's this question I always start with, because I think it's, it's just a great question to get an idea of um, uh, who you are. Um, if someone asks you, what do you do? How do you normally answer that? Mm. Uh, well, my main thing as a job is that I'm a DJ. Uh, <clears throat> so, I mean, that's a simple enough answer. But the thing about being a DJ is that people have their own ideas of what that means and it usually means they think I uh, just play techno music really loudly and um, in the context of improv theater when they hear that I'm a DJ if they've never seen it before then they think I play techno music in between the scenes so (laughs) (laughs) so it's always trying to explain that that's not at all how it works Um, it's still uncommon to be a DJ in that world in terms of musical impro uh, work. Um, typically, it's you know like a piano or a guitar or, or something. So um, yeah, so I usually am explaining that I use you know turntables. I'm using the techniques of DJing, uh, but really influenced by uh, film scores is a big thing for me. Um, uh, yeah, I'm really influenced by the cinematic uh, music. So that's what I would say. But then, if I'm not doing impro, it's like dance parties and festivals and, uh, you know, making people dance is kind of one of my other things that oh, I do. It it, yeah. it makes us relate in different ways, I now realize, because I'm also making yeah. people dance, yeah. Yeah, it's a, special, it's a special treat to be the person, uh, m- yeah, influencing someone's, like, evening and having them you know freak out because they love a song so much and they're like we gotta get to the dance floor oh my god I love this song it's so nice so it's a special job I like it a lot 
awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you're, I'm now realizing <clears throat> you're, because music goes to your feelings, right? It's something you, you experience with your body. So Very it's, much. Uh, it's the things we as improvisers, we're just striving for to see how can we make people feel something, experience something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a really special job. Um, the interesting thing, though, about a musician um, in the improv world is that uh, I could talk about this for days, but the idea that the work I do is often more subtle than the work you're doing on the stage. And so the music is a is a more subconscious way of affecting the audience compared to speaking dialogue. And so uh, sometimes the audience doesn't even notice you're working because you're you're impacting them on a really interior level to the point where they don't even realize you're doing it. So it's a double-edged sword because it's a very special job to influence somebody in a show like that. But it's also weird because sometimes you get no credit for the deep emotional impact. <laughs> I'm sure. That's actually yeah. the thing I also realized when I was looking at questions because I was, was, was thinking it's such an ungrateful job, um, and it, which makes it also hard for other music improvisers, I guess, to find their way in the, yeah. in the improv scene. Do you know yeah. how did you find your way? Did Every time did you tell them, it was me because that made you feel something? Or how did no, that... No, no, no. <laughs> it's... Um... It is a unique place to be, and I think there are still some growing pains happening in the relationship between the improvising actors and the other improvisers, whether that is the musical improvisers or maybe the lighting improvisers. Um, there is different relationships between those kinds of groups, uh, in different cities and as I've traveled more I've seen that some of the musicians or lighting impro folks um, some of them feel more comfortable with their acting people or and some are more like in a different space they feel like okay this isn't my show this is the, these are the actors that they are the improvisers and um, so often when I'm teaching workshops, I talk a lot about how we need to put everyone on that same level, like we are all improvisers, and using simple phrases, like even saying, like, um, for example, when you were doing me and my ex with Sven, saying that because if I join you, oh, there are three improvisers in that show that night. It's not just the duo of actors, it's also the musician. And if we had a sound tech, also this person too. Are, we're all improvising together. So um, sometimes people forget that. Uh, but I think that's because things like lighting and music are really mood-based. And um, they, yeah, they affect you on this level that's way back in your mind, way back here. And um, so I wouldn't say it's an ungrateful work, but it's something to, like, as a musician, you need to stake your territory and need to be part of that team and really, like, do warm-ups with the team, um, 
do notes after the show, like be part of that group. And that can be hard sometimes. It can mm. definitely be hard. Um, because sometimes the actors don't notice you either. Like, I've gotten a lot of compliments that I don't think are compliments when they say, wow, Sarah, you are so good in the show that I didn't even notice the music. And I'm like, <laughs> I worked so hard and you don't notice it? Like, what? Um, but I think they just mean, ah, oh, it just worked so well. It worked on this deeper level that I wasn't thinking, oh, there's a musician playing. But uh, that's, I think, a challenge for actors. Yeah. Like, I'm imagining that when you are acting on stage, uh, it's hard to be conscious of the music in an academic way, like, because you don't want to. You want to feel the feelings that are happening there. So I imagine that's difficult. Mm -hmm. That's not my problem. That's the actor problem, but <laughs> yeah. like the challenge, I mean, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I guess it, it goes both ways. So it's, it's a challenge for improvisers to, um, to give room, which is actually interesting because that's the phrase that uh, like a Portuguese tech once told me. I was, ah. I was teaching a group to be more silent. And then he mm -hmm. afterwards said, I felt like there was more room for me. Yeah. Which I think was, oh, that was so insightful that, that mm -hmm. we as improvisers can just, if we are more silent, there is more yep. room for sound. I feel like silence is a big fear um, <clears throat> in a lot of things, not just theater. Uh, I used to work in radio and um, silence is a tool that people think of as more of a thing you need to avoid when it's actually a tool. And so just rearranging your mind to, to realize that um, exactly giving space, um, uh, whether that's physical or um, audio, like is a really undervalued tool. And I think um, people are getting there, but it's <clears throat> like some, some styles even of impro now are designed to almost have no space like there there's a lot of very fast formats out there that are basically fighting uh that idea of of space um i i notice that a lot as a musician i go how do i get into this world i'm not just going to bring some music up slowly like i want to i want to enter with purpose <clears throat> the way that a an actor enters with purpose or the way the lights come on with purpose so um, giving space to one another is important for sure. Yeah. yeah. I, I read that you, except for Speechless, you were also part of some other, or you worked with some other groups like the Crumbs and National Theatre yeah, of the like, World. Um, yeah, like just the, the, the way I started was working with Crumbs. Um, they're my hometown guys. So <clears throat> um, I got to start at a really interesting place with two people that I had seen play a lot and then uh, they needed uh, some music one night and just said Sarah can you do it and I had never I didn't study impro or anything like that but I'd worked as a DJ for a long time um, and did yeah, they so, at that point worked with the DJ as well already yeah so I um I don't know any other DJs yet. I know there are some DJs in other places in the world, but the only other DJ I know um, is the regular Crumbs DJ, who I am married to, and he, DJ Honeycutt, and he 
um, couldn't make it to one of the crumbs shows. I forget why. This was years ago. And so they just said, oh, could you do it, maybe? And I trust them, so I just said, yep, okay, yep, I will do that. I will just try that. <clears throat> and um, so I've worked with them a lot. Uh, and then um, I've gone out to Edmonton quite a few times to work with Rapid Fire Theater and the different folks there, which has been great. Um, I've done a couple shows with, yeah, the just um, National Theatre of the World, but just like as a guest, that wasn't like a, a um, like a, a proper like joining of a group or something. Right. So um, can you describe what your role then is with each of those groups or work? Yeah. Well, it's interesting because uh, as a musician, it's similar to being an improvising actor, where you can come in as a guest and be part of a team. But uh, one thing as a musician, if you're joining a show that has an established tone, uh, musically, um, you want to try to find things that work for that. So like with National Theatre of the World, it's a lot of music that is like Woody Allen soundtrack, I'll say, you know, um, for example. And so trying to be like, a bit of a chameleon and enter that world and lift up and accent the world that that group has already established, right? Um, so that's always a really interesting challenge is um, not just playing the same things every time for every group because that makes zero sense, but still reflecting my personality in a way, mm -hmm. you know? Like it's, yeah, it's an interesting thing, but I really like being... Um, uh, a musician and jumping into different groups because you really learn a lot. Uh, I've done shows that were just in Spanish and I was the only English person on the stage and uh, my Spanish skills are getting there but I'm definitely not a fluent speaker and so those were a really interesting challenge of working with an entire cast that is going at full speed Spanish and um, learning as I go how to work with that and um, so there's been some really interesting challenges along the way but a lot of it is space and being observant and breathing with the people on stage right and do you do you see um, I know cultural differences or differences between the different groups how they improvise with the music um I haven't seen cultural differences in how they improvise with music specifically. I do see differences between different theater companies, but I think it's just based on their own, I'll call it, uh, culture of their company. Uh, some groups work very intimately with one musician for a long period of time, and so they bring that person in really as a team member and some companies work with a rotation of musicians. And so they never have one um, one anchor, musical anchor in their group. Uh, I think that is more difficult. And I think there's a lot of reasons for why that happens. Um, but I do notice, uh, I've noticed cultural differences in like the, the styles of impro that are happening and I think that's really interesting some that are really physical some that are really talky if you know what I mean um, 
And I really have been enjoying a lot of the uh, production value of uh, certain groups uh, like from Brazil and Mexico City where uh, there's costumes and sets and the lighting is amazing and it's just gorgeous. And I guess coming from North America, I'm used to some people standing in their street clothes with some boxes <laughs> and they just talk. <laughs> and so the first time I saw really high production impro, I was like, this is amazing. It's so great because they're, they're improvising with many, many elements of theater, not just like blocking and talking. And so to see like a costume improviser where in your in your show you're being dressed into another costume and now I'm transitioning into this person and that that kind of stuff is like yes this is the kind of thing we can play with yeah. and um and let all different parts of the theater workers um improvise and I think that's like a really exciting place that I um yeah, I love to be a part of, or just to watch. It's really nice. Really oh, nice. oh, I so agree. I have to think mm -hmm. of that uh, group that we saw in um, Portugal, where we both were at the festival, the Mexicans with yes. the shoes. Yes, yeah, that's they a just, great example. They had shoes for scenery. I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah and that group, they're called Complot Asina, and uh, they, yeah, they selected that the choice of those shoes for that particular show um X ha muerto, which stands for X has died, um, is a big impact. The shoes are, mean a lot in that show, too. And, uh, and they work with it really well, and they're able to travel with that, too, which is cool. Like they're, Some of those higher production shows are more difficult to move around, of course, and tour with. But um, those visuals, like they last with you. The first time I saw X ha muerto, I was like, whoa! The final image of these shoes in a spotlight, it's like pff, yes. a perfect, perfect image that I remember. And, you know, after seeing so much impro, I don't remember all of it. So it says something when when you're left with that image, you know. Yep. Mm -hmm. So you're part of um, Speechless. Can you tell the story of uh, of how that started and where you guys are now? Speechless is... My favorite accident. <laughs> yeah. Um, in okay, so uh, speechless is a person, three-person group. It's uh, me on the music, and then uh, the two um, actors are Daniel Orantia and Felipe Ortiz from Colombia, and uh, they uh, are part of a great uh, group from Bogota called Picnic. And they were traveling with uh, as members of that group, uh, and we met in Würzburg uh, at the Würzburg Festival, which is a great one. And I was there as a solo musician, which is like a funny, like rogue um, place to be when you're traveling uh, mm -hmm. as an improviser. Everyone says, "What group are you in?" I say, "I'm not. I'm here by myself." Uh, so. Um, Essentially, uh, we did a little bit of scene work uh, here and there, just little pieces like that. And uh, and then that was it. We're like, okay, bye. Nice to meet you at this festival. You know, you meet all these people at the festivals. But then um, 
in like a fate, a turn of fate, uh, six months later, we were invited to um, Edmonton and to, to participate in Improvaganza. And it was sort of this, again, happy mistake where Daniel and Felipe were there, I was there, and they do a theater sports show <coughs> at, the, at Improvaganza. And uh, they said, oh, do you, think the, do you think, Sarah, that you could do the music for the Colombian team? Like, could you just be their music for that theater sports night? And I said, oh, sure, I don't know them. I'm happy to. They, I remember them from Germany. And um, so basically we were doing this uh, competition, and uh, the challenge um, was about language. And so um, the Colombians' uh, response to the challenge was, we're going to do a scene with no language in it, and we're not going to talk. And um, so they gave me a lot of space to play music uh, in this scene, and they're really physical performers. Um, you know, they're, they are really influenced by a lot of circus and clown work and bouffant. And um, so their movements are really precise. Their mime work is great. And we did this little two-minute scene. And it was so striking to the three of us. And we realized that the audience was sucked right into it with us. And no one was, like, breathing, you know? It's this, like... <gasps> what's going to happen? And uh, it was this really magical moment. And so afterwards we were talking, we were like, wow, what happened there? That was something connected us and we weren't even talking and like, what happened there? And then again, as festivals finish, okay, bye. It was nice to meet you. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, you, you, they live in South America. I live in North America. Uh, maybe I'll see them again one day. But then we stayed in contact and, uh, realized that we wanted to try more of this um, talking free improvising show and we wanted to try doing longer amounts of it not just little scenes and we wanted to do it with intention and so we had this crazy idea we found out we were all invited again by accident to the same festival in Würzburg again and so Nadine Antler who is designing that festival, we contact her and we say, we have a crazy idea. We would like to do a show with no talking and um, we would love if you could feature it in the festival this year. And she said, sure. Uh, I trust you. Yeah. We said, great. Um, we have no way of rehearsing the show or workshopping it because we live on two different continents. So I guess we'll just try it when we get there. And... Um, so that's what happened. We flew in to Würzburg and had maybe two days before the show and said, okay, how do we do a one-hour long form with no talking in it? And um, <clears throat> we just said, well, why don't we set the clock for 60 minutes in a rehearsal space and see what happens? And so um, so we did. And I was telling the story of how to 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 influence our or like warm us up, I told the story of how my grandparents met, which is this really beautiful little story, love story. Um, and my grandmother had just died, and so I was thinking about them a lot. So I decided to share something that I was feeling really deeply about, that was really on my mind. So I was telling them this beautiful story of how they met, and then how, because she had just passed away, uh, you know, I had just witnessed the end of their love story recently. And... Then we 
set the clock for 60 minutes. We start our rehearsal and uh, little pieces of my story were influencing our rehearsal. And the first scene they ever did was Daniel uh, was um, getting ready for something. You could see he was getting ready for something, but we had no context. It's a silent thing. So we're just in this room and someone is doing something. You know what I mean? It's like really like, okay, this is mime and there's no talking and we have no idea, right? Like yeah. just, okay, sure. Great. What's he doing? So we're just staring. We're just looking. What's he doing? What's he doing? Then Felipe comes in with this mime scene of a, a box. He walks in with this box and he opens it and he takes something out of it. And then you can see he is placing something on top of this object and you realize he's placing birthday candles on a cake. And then you see that his character is blowing up balloons and he's decorating this space. And um, so this is this is the establishing and I'm like, okay, I'm going to start adding some music. I understand that this character is really excited to prepare this birthday for for somebody. You can see he's putting a lot of care into this surprise birthday. And then Daniel was on the side and he looked like he was riding a little motorcycle. He had his helmet on and he's zooming around on these hills and he shows up to this house and it turns out it's his surprise birthday and it's this really beautiful moment and he's so excited and he blows out this candle. Now the reason I'm telling you this story is because as he blew out the candle something happened very spontaneous and it was so beautiful. He blows out the candle and his body instantly transformed. It started curling forward and all of a sudden he became this little old lady in that same motion of blowing out the candle they both aged as a couple 50 years in the future and you just knew immediately it was the same two people and they were still in love and they were doing another birthday 50 years later and you could see, again, Felipe gives him this cute little cake with a little candle. And Daniel is like, oh, I'm so excited to blow out my birthday candle. But he's a little old lady, so he needs his oxygen. So there's a, he has like a, he mimes he, that he has a little oxygen tank. And he puts a little oxygen mask and he takes a puff and he goes, <gasps> you know, gets ready to blow out his candle. And he blows out the birthday candle. And then his eyes close and he, his head goes down and Felipe with his hands does this motion of the candle smoke rising into the sky really slowly and beautifully and immediately I know oh, that's the soul this person has just died and um, it was the saddest thing and I started crying and I was weeping, like for real. I had to almost stop the rehearsal. We were only 10 minutes into our first ever practice and I was crying and crying and I thought there's something so beautiful and I think it's because it's universal. We only had to think about these deep emotions and these connections between these characters and it wasn't about the details. It was about this base um, connection and yet they were still able to tell me so many details with with their motions and their face and like 
um, it was so clear, but it was also um, deeply human. Um, I know that was a long story, but I wanted to just tell you, like, from the start, it was this really beautiful thing. And afterwards, we realized, oh, darn, we wasted that story. No one will ever yes! see that one. <laughs> I, I wanted to see that. And that, that there's this thing in your story, which is really great, because I I recognize that that the f as you were describing, and he's preparing for something, but we don't know where. So this entire attitude of shit, I wish I would have some words so I could say I'm in a flat or I'm in New York or I'm, yeah. I'm preparing to be a lawyer or whatever, you know, mm. so this this, and then getting sucked into the story and then feeling something, and so it really goes from your brain judging to your brain yes. letting go to sort of enjoying it and then to feeling something Yeah, a lot of people uh, we get mixed reactions when they watch Speechless because um, we are demanding some real hard work from the audience in a way. But the hard work is that you actually have to let go. The hard work is not that we're asking you to fill this story in, fill all the holes. We're actually asking for you to let go of that concern because those stories will come together in your mind in a way that you'll just start feeling very naturally but it, only if you stop thinking too hard. Like, that's the hard part. Yeah. Because I admit, if I'm watching a movie and I go, wait, wasn't that the killer? Or, you know, you get, like, you start putting the story together. Um, that can be a natural place because we want that to happen as humans, and I get that. Um, but there is this interesting thing that happens because Speechless is so uh, slow, and I mean that in a good way. We really, really take our time and establish, um, we try to really establish space, we try to establish character, um, and, you know, we're getting better at it, too, because it's uh, it's a huge challenge for us, also, um, and, uh, you know, in a couple years that we've been doing it, I think it's getting stronger, and really painting a space, because then you can get into more complex things, like what we're doing as a trio is always trying to push how complex can our ideas get, it, we don't want it to just be, oh, a boy meets girl, they fall in love. Like, we want to tell complex stories with fantasy and dragons and heartbreak and misunderstanding and mystery and magic. And um, how can we tell that when there's no talking? Because all of those details that we expect are are given to you in a different way, not not through the words. So, um, but it's a really it's a really interesting show to be a part of, and I feel so so lucky to be one third of it. It's a really interesting challenge, and it's a beautiful challenge. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I, yeah. I think it's already great that in the format there's so much risk or there's so much uh, yeah challenge. You're challenging yourself all the time. I cannot imagine yeah. that this particular format could be like, yeah, we know how to do it now. Like, no, you know. the when we were backstage about to perform our first show in Würzburg that day, that day um, we were so nervous. And I looked at Felipe and he said to me, I haven't been nervous for 15 years. I have crazy butterflies in me right now. I said, I do too. Like, I have been performing as a DJ for so long and 
Finally, I get the nervous back. It's it's a gift to feel nervous again because it's this energy coursing through your body. And um, it's because, yeah, there are high levels of risk in the show in a way. Um, And uh, for us, for Speechless, and I think for lots of improvisers, one of our big sayings is there are no mistakes because we've learned that some of the best mistakes, so-called mistakes, turned into beautiful parts of the show. So the more we do the show, the more we trust that, yeah, there could be some weird things that happen in the show, but um, they result in in some really magical moments. Um, But it's really cool to feel nervous again and to realize that you can keep challenging yourself with a form and we're always having ideas because we don't see each other for a few months you know we have these breaks in between where we fly back to our cities and then we meet again somewhere else we come with back with new ideas like how how can you know how can we play with uh the moving through time how do we tell an audience we're in we're going back in time we're jumping forward in time how do we do that when you can't say well it's 1940 see like how how do you do that with nothing but music and body and uh so then we play with those ideas are we like how do we play with size how do we how can we zoom in to something tiny and make it big can we zoom over a landscape and like a cinema like cinematic view can we float above a, a city like how do we show that and so it's like those challenges um, are uh, really exciting to play with. And we um, get to do it in front of an audience. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so. so how do mm-hmm. you guys um, uh, warm up? What's, what's your warm-up ritual together? Um, we um, try to stay connected all day. Um, Daniel... One time we were walking through Bogota and he was talking about Bob Marley's band. Before they would do recording session, they would spend all day together. So in the case of Bob Marley, that would mean smoking a lot of weed with his band. And then maybe they'd go for a swim or something. But it was about uh, creating a mutual awareness so that you all, all of your brains are in the same rhythm. So in a sense, our warm-up starts that morning we'll we try really hard to um, be in the same headspace all day so go for a walk all together or yeah go swimming whatever we do that um, all day (laughs) and then the warm-up in the theater is uh, usually I have to set up my DJ equipment and um, so I'll have some music playing and they'll start with some stretches because they're have to warm up their bodies and then when I'm done the music uh, stuff I come join them that I think it's really important to warm up the same way that the actors are warming up so we will all stretch we we try to really lie down on the stage if we have any time before the doors open in the theater we want to be on that stage lying down on it getting to know that space getting to know the size and room and um so a lot of that kind of stuff. And then usually right before the curtain, uh, we might do a little bit of dancing. 
<laughs> Yay, back to <laughs> a, dancing. <laughs> a little bit of salsa. We have a, like a theme, a, a theme song, a, like a, this Colombian uh, song that we sometimes will think about or sing or listen to. Um, but because the show is, it's so important to be connected. Like I said the phrase already, but mutual awareness is one of the most important things for us to really be breathing with one another on that stage and, you know, read each other's minds, so to speak. And um, people sometimes say to us, that wasn't improvised. There's no way that was improvised. Like, well, yes, it was. We would never write a play like that. Like, you really think? <laughs> but, but it's because we're trying to be um, really connected in our minds and in our hearts with each other. So, um, so yeah, giving each other the being in the same mindset is really uh, actually like a long process. It's not just the hour before the show. It's like we all ate the same food today, and we all woke up in the same place, or whatever, you know, and it, again, it takes a long time. It's like we give space to that process. So, yeah, it's a long warm-up. Yeah. No, I I liked it because we did the same in in Milan for a little bit, though you were a little more occupied with um, technical stuff, I suppose, mm -hmm. because it, there was no electricity. Um, yeah, but, but we were yeah. trying yeah. to do, and we... Like, I basically, I followed you and Sven around all day. I said, like, uh, oh, okay, you guys are staying at this hostel? Okay, I'll come with you. And yes. then I came with you. And uh, I think you uh, used the phrase, uh, we're going to stick together like glue. Yeah. It's just a, such a great saying, because I know, only yeah. know it from a song. <laughs> so we were glue. Yeah, Boom. and it, I think it's important, though, because then uh, just your mood like you there's a group mood and i think that's um an interesting thing yeah yeah right so so we're we're heading towards the end a little bit i i have some mm -hmm. short questions for you maybe let's okay. let's end with that yeah um so do you know any um you're going to quite some festivals are there mm -hmm. any groups or duos or improvisers like individual improvisers that you think are um, like promising that you think are inspiring in some way? Yeah, um, musically, I uh, love to hear. Oh, I don't remember his last name, but maybe if I just say the cello player named Nico, a lot of people might know him. He um, he's uh, amazing. He's magical and. Um, uh, he as a as an improvising musician he's one of my favorites um and uh i also love the um like i was saying with production work i love i love uh some of the things that de andre teatre are doing in oslo with their kids shows um they're really these beautiful simple magical shows they do with the toys of the audience, like the children's in the audience. And bringing these toys to life is a really s simple, magical idea. Um, so, I mean, that's very general. There are so many great improvisers. It's kind of hard oh. to name someone. Well, these are already, 
already great to just to keep in mind, I suppose. Yeah. Oh, that's mm. lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, if um, what advice would you give yourself? Let's say in the in the first year that you started to do music with improv, is there something you would you know now and you didn't know then? Um, yeah, uh, the biggest lesson was to not make any plans. Sounds like improv, yes. That's, yeah, um, the my natural personality is to make plans to worry about the future. And so that was the biggest thing to let go of. It took me the longest. And as a DJ, you're working with pre-recorded music. <clears throat> the songs are already written. So I'm always thinking, oh, what should I play next? Oh, if there's a love story, I should pick this love song. But if it's a murder, I should pick this song. And I used to do that. And then I used to think in my head, oh, yeah, this is going to be so funny when this happens that people are going to love that I play this song at the end. And then the story would never go in that direction. And I would be disappointed. And I would go, no, I had this funny song. Why didn't they know that? And so it took me a little while to learn uh, that you can't, people can't read your mind, just like in real life. And, um, and that... Half the time you make plans, those plans never happen anyways. And again, a big life lesson. So um, so stop worrying about the future. That oh. is what I would tell my past self. And honestly, what I would tell my now self. <laughs> I guess so. I guess we, we have to be reminded of that all the time. Oh, that's that's mm-hmm. a great thing, yeah. All right. Well, to close, where and when can we see you? Well, um, Speechless is coming out to Europe again in March and April of this year. So we are starting our tour at the Berlin Impro Festival in March. Uh, That will be great. And then we're ending our tour in Leuven, Belgium, uh, with a festival there. Uh, So those are some of our, like, big stops that we're excited to do. And then... I don't know. In the future, we'll have to. We'll, I'll just. I'll be somewhere, and everyone will come see me as a visit. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make tea. Yes. So, where can they find you online? Yeah. Uh, well, me personally, uh, I can be found at mamacutsworth.com, and then also um, on Instagram under that same Mama Cutsworth name or Facebook, and then we also have a speechless website and. Um, you can search for that around, uh, for example, we are speechless is sort of our handle. Um, yeah, yeah, we're, we're not too hard to find Good. with Google, good. you know, with Google, uh, it's quite I'll, easy. I'll put some links in the, in the notes because then Great. people can just click on it. Yes. Perfect. Great. All right. Lovely talking to you, Sarah. Anything you well, want Give the listener as a as a closing statement or advice or some words of wisdom. Yeah, just some anything <laughs> or a song that I can play with in the outro. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I would just say that um, I think uh, the key is to keep challenging yourself and um, also to stay vulnerable, which I know sounds 
strange, but that, you know, the, the fear of opening yourself up is I think sometimes where the best things come from. And to be honest about where you're at and what you're feeling, uh, shines through and, and to use it is, is very special. So, um, yeah, so I think just that is, you know, but that anyone listening to this podcast will know that already, I'm sure. <laughs> it's always good to be reminded, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> good. And stop worrying about the future. That and that. <laughs> Beautiful thing. Thank, Thank you. you so much for having me, Laura. Yes. It's great. All right. Talk to you later. Okay. Bye. Bye.